Hello and welcome to Elevating Founders, the podcast for early stage founders to hear the stories behind the change makers and disruptors in the tech sector who are responsible for tackling the world's biggest challenges. Brought to you by London Tech Week and hosted by myself, Sina Sadzada. This week, I'm joined by Jacob, who is the co-founder and CEO of Epoch Biodesign, a synthetic biology company creating new tools to adapt biology to solve our most pressing climate challenges. First up, enzymes that transform plastic waste into everyday chemicals. Prior to building Epoch, Jacob was at school and turned down a place at university to pursue building a company instead. Epoch is backed by 14.5 million in funding from leading investors such as Chris Sacker's lower carbon capital. Jacob spent his earlier years skipping school and protesting around London for government-backed climate targets. With a sense of urgency and responsibility, Jacob started a research project to try and solve some of the climate issues faced by the world, but was soon faced by obstacles, no lab, no PhD. This all changed, however, when he started to work with Professor Doug Keel, CBE, who helped bring the research project to life with his passion and background in the industry. So in this episode, Jacob and I discuss his story as a fellow young entrepreneur who boldly chose to pursue entrepreneurship, plastic waste, climate tech, and the future for Epoch Biodesign. I can't wait for you guys to listen to his story, so let's jump straight in. Hey, Jacob, how are you? Yeah, good. How are you? Yeah, very great. Great, thanks. It's amazing to have you on the podcast. This is an episode I've been looking forward to personally for a matter of weeks. So I'm really, really excited to have you on the podcast to talk about what you guys are doing at Epoch Biodesign. And, but before we jump in, how have the last like 12 months been for you? Yeah, super busy. Uh, we, we raised capital at the beginning of the year, uh, built new labs, moved, uh, moved cities, moved the team, hired a bunch of people. So uh, yeah, been a... Uh, been a great last 12 months how so before we jump into what you guys are doing and obviously like why you raise funding and all that type of thing what you're building it'll be interesting for for us to hear more about like plastic production and the waste problem that we're actually facing in the world because it's all over the news cop 27 is happening like plastic is the forefront of people's minds but it'll be good for for us to hear like in your words i guess how big is the problem what's going on yeah, just like how big is it? I mean, I, I kind of want to start answering this question by just saying like plastics are pretty awesome, right? They enable so much of our modern lives, everything from life-saving surgeries to just preventing food waste, making agriculture more productive. I mean, they are amazing materials, right? That's why we make so much of them. Um, but part of the problem is we make too much of them. Uh, we use them in applications where it you know, doesn't really make sense to use them. You know, do you, do you need to wrap a banana in, in plastic film? No, probably not. Um, and at the end of the day, when we talk about plastics as well, it's not just one type. There are so many different types. They're mixed together. They're in these very kind of complex multi-layer packages. Um, and that makes them really, really difficult to recycle at end of life, both from a technological perspective um, and then because of that complexity and economic perspective as well. Um, so if we just kind of take a step back and look at uh, you know, plastics as a whole, we make, you know, depending on which estimate you look at, sort of 450 million tons of this stuff every single year. Uh, that's due to, to quadruple by the middle of the century. Um, we don't really recycle much. Uh, you know, the data is actually pretty murky on, on how much plastic truly gets recycled. Uh, some more optimistic estimates put it at about 14%, which is still very low. And uh, some more pessimistic say, you know, vanishingly small amounts as, as low as 2% is truly recycled. So we're creating all this material, uh, which we're using for, you know, to kind of make our modern lives happen. 
Uh, but really, we're not we're not processing this stuff. We're not recovering the stuff at the end of its life effectively. Before we like go on to what what you're building, does recycling actually work? Because I feel like this is this might be like I don't know a buzzword that a lot of corporates use when it comes to plastic, and they're 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 part of the solution. But yeah, like I've I've seen a lot of conflicting studies on this. So like, what do you think about recycling plastics? It's a tricky one. So when we talk about recycling. Often, and really in the vast majority of cases, we're talking about recycling for one type of plastic, a PET, the stuff you get in like a Coca-Cola bottle or a water bottle. And um, when you think recycling, you'd imagine that, you know, the plastic bottle you put in the bin is going to get turned back into another plastic bottle. Now, if that plastic bottle even makes it to a recycling facility in the first place, which is a whole um, a whole sort of journey and, and process to go through, um, it's oftentimes not turned back into a bottle. It's sort of downcycled into a lower quality plastic uh, because of contamination, because of uh, just the nature of the processing steps that are used. And then it's often turned into something like uh, a textile that gets, you know, turned into a running shirt or, uh, you know, filling yeah, for a, exactly those. filling yeah. for a pillow or a carpet. But you have to ask the question: What happens to that material once you're done using it? Because we know that textile recycling is such a big problem, and oftentimes these things just go to landfill or incineration. So most recycling is what we would refer to as, as kind of open loop recycling, right? It's not sort of effectively kept in the system. Um, that doesn't make it a bad thing. That doesn't uh, sort of make it sort of uh, sort of bad from that perspective. But it's it's by no means a perfect system. So we're recycling very little plastic, and the stuff we are saying is being recycled. Um, is not often sort of what we would imagine as this kind of perfectly circular system. So what's, what are the other solutions apart from like what you guys are building when it comes to like dealing with all this, like millions and of tons of plastic that has produced and, and wasted every year? So I wouldn't necessarily call it a solution, but right now most of it goes to landfill or incineration, right? So that's just kind of where, where it goes. And um, a lot of people are working on a variety of different technologies that kind of sit across the plastics value chain. So one is sort of reinventing different types of plastics that potentially biodegrade, potentially easier to recycle. There's kind of question marks on those for sure, but people are working on them. Uh, some people are looking at sort of robotic AI-assisted sorting systems so that all of those different types of plastics that you put into the bin at home uh, can effectively be sorted into individual waste streams kind of at scale in, in, in a real industrial environment. Um, and then people like us uh, at Epoch are looking at sort of new approaches and new technologies for taking previously unrecyclable plastics and then kind of turning them into something valuable, whether that's directly back into plastic or, or kind of something else. I'd say the majority of approaches that are being taken on that side of things um, tend to fall under this sort of umbrella term of, of something called chemical recycling. Um, there's a variety of different approaches and technologies that, that kind of sit under that. Um, but the sort of most widely publicized and widely deployed is a technology called pyrolysis, which essentially takes all of this waste plastic, heats it up to super, super high temperatures, uh, creates kind of a, a sort of low quality synthetic oil from the plastic. Um, and then that oil is put back into the uh, petrochemical infrastructure that oil and gas players use uh, to make the sort of building blocks for plastics from oil and gas in the first place. So it kind of helps to achieve a, a sort of more circular cycle um, but uses quite a lot of energy uh, in the process. You're obviously extremely passionate about this problem. And I can I can see that from what you're, what you're saying. What, you turned down a spot at university to, to pursue this. What was the decision there? I mean, some of it was circumstantial. So I was I was working on a research project during my final year of school, uh, trying to find essentially microbes that would break down different kinds of plastic. Um, the sort of early results from that were looking really interesting, but I very quickly remembered 
I don't know how to do this kind of science. I need somebody much smarter than me to, to help me take that forward. Uh, so I got in touch with, with my co-founder, Doug Kell, and we decided to, to start this company together. Um, it was kind of at that moment that, you know, it sort of occurred to me that, that looked like growing up sort of environment and climate had really been at the core of who I was. You know, through high school, I was protesting outside the Houses of Parliament, uh, trying to convince my friends to go vegetarian with me. I, you know, I was, this was really sort of important to, to, to who I was. And so it kind of struck me in that moment that if I can't do this now in my life, when, when can I? These are the problems that I think are most pressing. They're the things that I want to spend my life, you know, at least attempting to, to create a solution to solve. Um, and that to me was was just much more exciting than going to university, to be honest. So I uh, took a first gap year, it was pretty low risk, uh, took a second gap year, and then you know that that became a permanent gap year. And uh, yeah, I decided to pursue this ever since. But it's a strange one because you, so you 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 were researching uh, like I guess chemical like the enzymes that break down plastics at, at school, I, I imagine. And then, but you turned down university to do this, but at the same time, university could have equipped you with the skills and the expertise to pursue that. So at what stage, like, how did you feel that you were ready in order to, to actually tackle this problem at that stage in, in your life? That's a very interesting thing to me. Yeah, I, you know, I remember specifically, I wasn't sure when starting this off, if I wanted to build a company, if I wanted to run a company, I was not so sure in myself, I, I wasn't in my own abilities, I wasn't necessarily sure uh, whether it's what I wanted to be doing full stop. And, you know, kind of the science at that point was just as interesting to me as, as, as the sort of business building opportunity. And, you know, both are still incredibly interesting to me today. Um, I remember specifically, we, uh, we applied for some government funding uh, through, through Innovate UK uh, that was actually matched by investment from Sky Ocean Ventures, who were who our first backers. And, um, you know, that enabled us to kind of do the fundamental work, uh, the experiments sort of outside of, of my high school lab and sort of in some better facilities. Um, and I remember I was invited to a portfolio event um, with uh, a bunch of other founders from, from the Sky Ocean Ventures portfolio. And that day was, was, was very inspiring, like had some great speakers to come and talk about the problems, sort of helped to contextualize what we were trying to do. But also in meeting other founders trying to do very similar things, really sort of for the first time, um, I realized they were all kind of winging it and figuring out as they went along. And I sort of realized, okay, like if they can do it, I can probably also do it. Let's, let's give this a go. Um, it's funny that you worked that out at a pretty young age because yeah. a lot of people work that out like quite late, I guess. It's like every founder is just, just working out for themselves. Totally. And, and I think for me, it was a recognition that I would definitely make mistakes, but as long as I could kind of learn from those mistakes and not make the same ones twice, then, you know, that's a reasonably okay way to go about it. So what is, what is the science? So we'll, we'll go into it now. What were you experimenting with in school that, that led you to this like epiphany that you want to do this and you want to use this technology to solve this issue? I was thinking in school, right, we have this plastic problem, too much of the stuff, we need to figure out something to do with it, right? We're, not, we're the best world in the world, we're not going to stop making this stuff tomorrow. So what can we turn it into? Um, well, we also need sort of chemicals and, and these chemical ingredients to make the world go around. So could we sort of link the two things up? Could you turn plastic waste into these valuable molecules? And I knew from my biology background in school that an enzyme was the most efficient way to do a chemical reaction. So kind of to, to break down on a very fundamental level, um, an enzyme is this little nano machine that sort of makes life happen. Um, it catalyzes all of these um, highly complex chemical reactions that happen in our body, that happen in uh, plants during photosynthesis, really the things that, that, that allow life to exist. Um, all of these chemical reactions are powered by enzymes. Uh, they work at very low temperatures, very efficiently, um, and move atoms in a very precise way. 
Um, and so I thought that if you could find an enzyme that would break down plastic, turn it into these chemicals, that would be really exciting. Uh, you could you could sort of create quite a quite a good solution there. So I started reading about plastic degrading enzymes. I started thinking about where in nature I might find them. Uh, so I went out into nature and, and, and took a bunch of samples, brought them back to the lab. Um, and wait, 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 where, where do you look in nature? Where, where do you like? Where do you stumble across these enzymes? Um, I, I can't say specifically, unfortunately. Um, but uh, I thought about what in nature might look similar to plastics on a molecular level, um, and if there oh, was, understood. if there okay. was something there that, that that would make sense, um, with, with, without giving the game away too much. Um, so went out into nature, took a bunch of samples, brought them back to the lab, uh, tried to essentially grow bacteria on plastic as the only carbon source, right? So everything needs carbon to, to exist, bacteria the same. And so if they were growing on plastic or they were growing full stop, it meant they were growing on plastic and meant they were breaking it down. If they were breaking it down, it meant they were producing an enzyme that could do that. Um, and so that was sort of the point when things started growing that I thought, oh, this is exciting, but let me find the right person to help me take that forward. Um, and so the, the, the key for Epoch and, and really what we're trying to achieve is we've identified these enzymes that can break down all sorts of different types of plastics. Um, enzymes are great. They're, they do all these amazing things. Um, they're also programmable. So we can make changes to an enzyme and that will have an effect on how well it performs in a particular task, whether that's breaking down plastic or staying uh, folded at a particular sort of raised temperature or something like that. Uh, but they're very, very complex things. Um, so we need to figure out how to design this complexity, how to program this complexity uh, to create an enzyme that will work at an industrial scale and unlock economics that makes sense. And so it turns out that Doug, my co-founder, had spent the last 20 years of his career developing a whole set of enabling tools, combining uh, sort of advanced computational techniques with um, sort of new molecular biology, high throughput automation uh, to design enzymes uh, in a more efficient and precise way than, than other people have been able to do. So we thought, okay, well, we can take this tool set, bring it into the company, operationalize it and apply it to, to optimizing and designing these enzymes to just be much, much better at breaking down plastic, making more chemical in a shorter period of time. I mean, my, my obvious question here is there is a lot of research that's done into chemicals, a lot of research done into like new forms of plastic and stuff like that. Why is there not been research in this, this, this stuff around enzymes converting plastics into something that we can use? That, because that sounds like the best solution for me, because what you mentioned before, recycling, there were some problems there, stuff around like when it's like high temperature, where you're going to get that energy from that also that, that probably adds to the problem more than anything. So what like that, that sounds like why has this not been done before at a higher scale? The answer is it, it, it kind of has, but not not quite like this. So uh, in 2016, there was a paper released uh, in, in Science uh, about kind of the first or what was claimed to be the first uh, PET degrading enzyme, right? So again, that same plastic was pretty widely recycled, uh, the stuff you find in the Coca-Cola bottle. So this enzyme broke down that, that polymer into the kind of the two building blocks to make new virgin plastic. Um, and so a bunch of companies and a bunch of uh, scientific groups have now kind of uh, emerged over the last couple of years trying to commercialize these PET degrading enzymes. Now, um, that's really, really exciting. I, I think we'll have a bunch of really relevant applications in, in improving the way we manage waste. Um, but PET is only about 12% of all the plastics that we produce. Um, there's a whole world of other plastics out there which are really, really hard to recycle. Um, do not degrade in the environment. And the reason they don't degrade is because they're built on these very, very stable chemical bonds, right? These are the same chemical bonds that, that, that are so hard to break down um, in the environment. It, it can make them harder to recycle. 
Um, and so what we've developed are the first enzymes in the world that are capable of breaking down those very, very stable carbon-carbon bonds. So again, at the beginning, we, we, we talked a little bit about different kinds of plastic, and um, it's really sort of not just one. I think it's also important to note that the advances that we're seeing in biosciences, biotechnology, um, really are the result of decades of sort of compounding exponential curves, right? So in order to design biology, we have to use some pretty foundational technologies like DNA sequencing, DNA synthesis, the ability to read and write DNA. And um, that allows us to generate huge quantities of data. Uh, well, only recently have we had cheap enough computing power to actually make sense of that data and good enough uh, uh, sort of architectures for predictive models uh, to take what is potentially quite sort of uh, sort of messy, not necessarily so clean biological data and actually glean useful predictions from it. So it's very much a, um, sort of now is the time in, in biotechnology. Um, you know, the, the sort of uh, the example I like is... Um, you know, so the invention of the transistor. So, you know, when the transistor was invented uh, back in the 20th century, you couldn't have predicted, you know, that uh, we'd be recording a podcast online today, you know, sit, sitting at our desks in two different places. Um, in the same way that I think we're at the beginning uh, of a similar revolution in biology, you know, the biological trans equivalent of the transistor has potentially just been invented or, or is about to be invented. And we will not be able to predict uh, all the amazing, exciting things that are going to come from this. Uh, so we're really sort of the beginning of the curve here. I got two questions for you here. Has that been the, the first one is fairly easy. The second one might be a bit harder. The first one has that been the traditional bottleneck in in this industry when it comes to it's, so it's the computing power and now that we've kind of got to a stage where it's powerful enough we should be able to expect a lot of innovation in this space 100 percent. i mean overnight in 2020 just the world of biology was changed when AlphaFold was released uh you know the following year they released 200 million protein structures i think there were maybe a couple of hundred thousand protein structures at most that had been published previously. Uh, Meta just a couple of days ago released 600 million protein structures. I mean, it's really like incredibly sort of exponential progress. So what does that mean? Protein structures? Does that mean like different catalysts, different, different enzymes that can break down plastic? Is that what you mean by that? So, so uh, proteins are these, these 3d biomolecules and they are these very complex shapes. So um, what happens is a protein is, is a string of amino acids. So like a, like a 2d shape, and then it folds in this very, very complex way. And so predicting how a particular string of amino acids will fold uh, can give you certain information about uh, what a protein looks like, how it performs, um, you know, in the case of, of uh, our stuff, maybe how it binds to plastic, in the case of other applications, maybe how a drug binds its target in the human body. So these are really sort of uh, very, very important things. And But really what that means is that experiments that, you know, would have taken years to do now can be done in weeks, uh, can be done in days. Um, and it is really that transformative for for this industry so this sounds incredibly exciting this is this is the second question this sounds incredibly exciting and i can't wait to personally see that this is like the problem that i'm working on for years i i feel like with the different solutions that we outlined before my question to you and given that we've like got this really strong foundation now that you just mentioned is it too late to solve this issue because we've already got a lot of a lot of ocean plastic we've already our population is increasing there's a lot of plastic being produced every single day is it too late to solve this issue? The second best time is now, definitely. Like it would have been great if we had started this earlier. Um, I think it's definitely not too late in that there's quite literally no ceiling to how bad the issue can get. It's not necessarily that, okay, we, you know, we've destroyed everything that could have been destroyed. But, it, you know, if we look at sort of 
plastics and then maybe in, in, in the context of, of um, climate and, and sort of biodiversity loss more broadly, uh, there are so many different feedback loops, loops that, be, that can be triggered that can make the issues so much worse. So, for example, yes, we're putting plastic in the ocean. Yes, it's killing all of our favorite friendly animals. And that's, that's really, really sad. Uh, but we're only just beginning to understand how plastics are potentially affecting the ocean's ability to sequester carbon. Uh, so the way phytoplankton grow uh, can be impacted by the presence of microplastics. And we know that phytoplankton are incredibly important for taking atmospheric carbon uh, and putting it sort of down at the bottom of the ocean. Uh, thinking about microplastics and their effect on human health. Again, we're just beginning to um, just beginning to understand. And, and at the end of the day, none of the evidence is looking particularly uh, it, none of the evidence is saying that microplastics are beneficial for us. Right. And, and so uh, Whilst we've definitely done a lot of damage, um, it's absolutely not too late to turn off the tap. We need to do it as soon as possible. We need a huge variety of different solutions. There is no silver bullet here. Um, and uh, yeah, today is definitely the second best time. Well, that sounds incredibly exciting that we have, you know, this strong foundation that we hopefully, you know, really help this problem because it's a problem that will only get bigger given the populations are rising and all that, all that type of stuff. What is like some other ambitions that you have for Epoch when it comes to the environment sustainability? Well, like, like I said, I think more broadly, the industry is, is approaching its transistor moment. And I think that we can imagine a bunch of very, very exciting applications on sort of the immediate horizon. Um, and I think we're limited by our imaginations in terms of what is going to come after that. And that to me is incredibly exciting. I think in, in, in the short term, we're going to see biology uh, touch every aspect of our lives in the way that we, we sort of don't interact with today. Uh, we'll see a lot of consumer facing biology. So uh, sort of um, cultivated meat, uh, you know, uh, chemicals and cleaning products made from plastic that, you know, we're going to be able to provide uh, lab grown leather handbags, all, all, all sorts of different things. Um, and the technology that we're developing at, at Epoch is you know, the ability to design enzymes with, with great precision is going to enable us to do all sorts of things beyond plastic. So we have ambitions for the long term in everything from uh, sort of bioremediation and cleaning up sort of nasty stuff that humans have left behind to uh, increasing the productivity of, 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 of um, agriculture, uh, looking at sort of how we can take carbon out of the sky and, and then put it back on the ground. I mean, really, biology is this, this very programmable, very scalable technology. And so uh, being able to design that complexity will just unlock all sorts of different applications. All right, we're going to wrap up the podcast fairly soon. So we're going to, before we go, jump into the quick fire questions though, I know you recently moved to a new office in London and it'll be amazing to hear what sort of like, what, what informed that decision and also what sort of culture are you going to be building within within your team? Definitely. So we, we needed more space. We needed to grow the team. We, we found a great spot in London and uh, a lot of available local talent. So that was, that was a big driver for us. Um, in terms of in terms of culture, um, it's always an interesting one. I mean, at the end of the day, we're coming to work solving very very difficult technical problems that have never been solved before. Uh, but we know that when we do crack them, uh, we're going to be able to have a really huge impact on the issues that that matter most to us. Um, I don't think anybody sort of uh, who, who comes to work every day doesn't doesn't sort of think about that. And it's also important to recognize that what we are trying to do is just fundamentally difficult, and we're trying to do it on a venture compatible and climate compatible timeline. And so I think our team's ability to kind of embrace and celebrate you know the things that didn't work just as effectively as we do celebrate the things that did work and that i think is creating a really great environment in which people feel like they can take risks you know scientifically professionally um that potentially you know have the ability to, to pay off quite dramatically i think creating 
that type of environment has been really beneficial for us. Okay, quick fire question before we wrap up the podcast. So first one, if you could go to the pub with any entrepreneur, who would you choose? I would love to go to the pub with uh, Nubar from Flagship and just pick his brain on company building and first principles thinking. All right, second, what's a startup you're loving at the moment and why? You can't say your own one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I, I do like Epoch. Um, there's so many to pick. I think I, I may be slightly biased by the ones I see in, in climate. Um, if I had to pick one, I would say Solugen, uh, based in the States, uh, you know, quite similar to us using enzymes to make chemicals. They're just doing incredible work showing that, you know, despite the history of this sector, biology can and will scale quickly. Uh, climate tech can make very real money. Um, and they've just been able to, to execute that with, with incredible speed. Last one, fill in the blank. To be a founder, you must be. I'd say stubborn. You're just going to be told no. A That's bunch not an answer we've had before, actually. Okay, so, great. Yeah. I, 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 no, we haven't that. had that. Um, yeah, I think you're just going to be told no a bunch of times. Even you know, you're going to say no to yourself sometimes, and and you, yeah, sometimes you just need to not listen to that and um, keep trying at what you're trying to build. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Jacob, for coming on the podcast and the quick fire questions. Of course, I know people would love to stay in touch with what you're doing because it's incredibly exciting what you're building, you and your team. So how can people stay in touch with you and Epoch uh, going into the future after the podcast? Absolutely. Um, follow us on on Twitter at Epoch Bio. Uh, you can find us on LinkedIn as well. Um, we are we are hiring. We have new roles becoming available uh, sort of quite quite frequently and quite a few in the new year as well. Um, if there isn't a role that uh, fits you, uh, we'd love to hear from you anyway through through our open application. So please don't hesitate to reach out. Fantastic. Thank you so much again, my friend, for coming on the podcast. And I'm sure we'll chat very soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. That is it for this week's episode of Elevating Founders. So my question to you is, have you subscribed to the podcast yet? If not, now is the time. We've got some fantastic episodes lined up for you this series, so keep an eye out. We shall be back with a new episode on the 6th of February. So in the meantime, why don't you catch up on our previous episodes? Thank you so much for listening again and see you next time.